Okay, they're going to come through and they're going to bring you bags like this. Everybody's going to get a bag. You know what you're going to do with this bag? Cookies. Fill with cookies. That's right. If you burn them, call them chocolate, bring them anyway. You'll be fine. So we're all going to do that. You're going to, you're going to bring cookies. You're going to bring them back with you next week. Not the week after, because I won't be here. Next week. Bring them back. We're going to put them in the back. We're all going to eat each other's cookies. Don't put your name on it in case yours are terrible. What, and whatever we have left, this is what we want you to bring them to. Whatever's left over, we're giving to a lady who's actually going to take all the extra cookies out to Vandenberg for the people in the service who are working on Christmas Eve. So whatever's extra, yay. So, you know, we'll take them out there. I promise I won't steal them all. Just the good ones. You are new. Welcome to Element. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app called Uversion. Uh, Uversion had an update this week, and now when I click on it, it, I have to click on more to get the live section. But you click on live, and it'll bring up Element, and you'll have all the notes for this morning. You can actually go through on your phone with the notes. It's just amazing technology. Uh, Financial Peace University is our financial class that's starting in January. By this week, you should have saved 48 bucks for the class. Just letting you know. Just letting you know. This is, it's really good. we got a ton of you guys signed up, so this is, this is awesome. If you can, be saving your receipts as well for everything you spend over the next couple months. Just so you have them, you're like, where? Even you buy like a gumball. Write it down. Just so you know where all your money goes. Because I know if you're like me, it's like, you go and you're like, where'd all my money go? I didn't buy anything. Yeah, gumballs. That's where it all goes. And Slurpees. And lotto tickets. And Starbucks. But not McDonald's. Because McDonald's is terrible. Again, Christmas Eve service is 7, 9, 11 p.m. Uh, the 7 p.m. one is the only one that has child care. And once again, if you have a baby, what do you bring it to 11 o'clock, 1 for anyway? All right? So, 7... Okay. You're, not, you're not, never coming back. I got it. I got it. Okay, so, 7 o'clock, child care. Got a kid, 7 o'clock, but I honestly, I love the 11 o'clock service. Because when you're done, it's Christmas. <laughs> no promise I won't sing for you that night either. I'll be like, it's Christmas. Why don't you stand there reading God's Word? This is Acts chapter 26, verses 24 and 25. So at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. This is Paul's defense of the gospel. It says, you are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. It says, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I, have, what I am saying is true and reasonable. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be people who understand that the faith that we have in you is true and it is very reasonable, that you give us a mind to comprehend things and rather than shutting it off in order to believe, we turn it on in order to more fully engage who you made us to be. So this morning, we ask that you would fully open our minds and have us be aware of what you are doing in and through us and then the glory that you want to show the world through who you are through your kids. Amen. Have a seat. So we're in week nine of a series called Made. We have this week and next week left, and then we're done, and it's Merry Christmas. Uh, I have, I'll, you want to hear something kind of cool? I, I, didn't, I haven't told any other service this, but I think this is kind of neat. Uh, I, anybody seen the movie Up? Okay, wow, everybody. You know it was written by a Christian? Just letting you know. Anyway, so uh, I, I saw the movie Up at the beginning of this year, and I, I watched the old guy, I was, his wife died, if you haven't seen it, sorry, I'm going to ruin it, so his wife dies, you know, and, and I'm like, that is not going to happen to me. So what I did at the beginning of the year is I sold a couple of guitars and some stuff, and I actually bought my wife tickets to go to Italy. 
because she's, she's always wanted to go. Her email address is I Dream of Italy. So, so, so I bought her these tickets to go to Italy after Christmas. So we're going. So I'm actually, the, the Sunday after Christmas Eve, I'm gone. I'm in Italy. So I don't know why I just told you that. Maybe because I'm excited. I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what I was saying. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I actually, uh, I try to write all my messages ahead of time. Uh, like every time we do a series, usually my whole series is written before we even start it. Uh, this week isn't actually any different at all. I wrote this when we were sitting in Haiti in an extremely hot house. So if it doesn't make sense, I blame it on the heat stroke. We're all going to be okay though. Uh, if you've missed any of this or you're new this week, we're doing a series called Made. This is the idea that God made each one of us unique. He likes the uniqueness that is you and I, so quit trying to be like everybody else and simply be who God made you to be. I believe in heaven we will retain the uniqueness that is us. I mean, I don't believe we all turn into cookie-cutter shapes at the throne of God. So we've been looking at how this uniqueness then plays into who we're supposed to become by God's grace. Our culture is all about you, 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 you. At Element, we just want to be about Jesus, period, because you are terrible. That's why our culture looks awful, and Jesus is good. Uh, so the goal of the series is to help you to understand how God sees you. Your eyes should always be upon Him to properly ever understand you. So we talked about trusting God. We talked about spiritual growth. We talked about your greatest strengths and your greatest weaknesses. We talked about being human. We talked about worry. We talked about difficult people. We talked about God's spirit in regard to work and then God's spirit in repentance and conviction. Today we're going to talk about one of my favorite things because it's one of my favorite things. See, I'm PCPA bound. That's where I'm going. We're talking about feeding your mind, feeding your mind, learning. And notice how I wait till almost the end to get to this because I think you have to understand all the other stuff and then we get here. And I want you to relate to all of it, so I'll start talking about your emotions and then we'll talk about how we think, make it all understandable. I believe that our Christian lives, they're all about Jesus, period. But we run into a lot of trouble in how we think about certain things. If you are always thinking about yourself and what you want or what you need, you will never become the person God wants you to be because you'll only be about you. Our feelings that we have, they never descend upon us at random. As a general rule, our emotions flow out of our thoughts. You watch a scary movie, even though there's nothing scary happening around you, it's just on the screen, you start to get scared if you're a normal person, not a sociopath, right? You start to, if you watch a chick flick, you're either totally bored or you're like, oh, I can't believe he doesn't love her. It's a movie, whatever, you got to get over it. Discouraged people tend to think discouraging thoughts. Worried people tend to think anxious thoughts. And this can happen to anybody. In the book of 1 Kings, you can turn there if you want, but I'm going to jump through it a lot. In 1 Kings, one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history, a guy named Elijah. I mean, this guy, he goes up and he faces down 900 false prophets of Baal. They're like in this valley, got 900 arrayed over here. He's over here. It's like, let's make some sacrifices, see who's God shows up. And so these these 900 false prophets are cutting themselves. Like, ah. He starts taunting them. Oh, your God must be on the toilet. He's not showing up. What's going on? Literally, that's what he says, right? And then over here on this side, Elijah just finally just says, you know, God, show me who you are. Fire from heaven. It's like fire. Fire from heaven comes down. Looks at the, he is like the Bruce Lee of prophets. That's who he is. It's like, wow. It's, it's, it's amazing. Right after this happens, right after this happens, he faces opposition from one person. Faces 900 down. He gets opposition from one person, one woman named Jezebel. And he plunges into fear. And in 1 Kings 19, this is where you see what happens to him. He's like, I am no better than my ancestors. So he starts to feel worthless. He feels hopeless. In verse 3, he runs for his life. In verses 10 and 14, he says, am I the only one left? So he feels completely isolated. In verse 4, he's like unable to cope. He's like, I have had enough. And he wants to die. Take my life, Lord. And God's like, 
Seriously? So God shows up in verse 5. He's like, take a nap, eat a snack. Maybe you're hyperglycemic because you're just freaking out right now. So we're going we're gonna to calm you down a little bit. And so God shows up, does a little bit of reprioritizing in Elijah's life. He gives Elijah an epiphany. I'm about to pass by. So when I pass by, listen to me. In verse 11, the Lord's about to pass by. He fills Elijah's life with hope. He's like, go back to where you were supposed to be because where I, that's where I called you to be. Verse 15, he says, go back the way you came. He tells him, stop feeling like you're the only one. You are not isolated. Verse 18, he says, I reserve 7,000 in Israel. God infuses his life with meaning because God has a mission for him, like God has a mission for us. When our lives are upon ourselves, Everything is all about us. We tend to forget that no, life is about God and He has a purpose and He has a plan and we can trust Him and it's all going to be okay. Elijah thought his problem was Jezebel, but the real problem is between his own ears. Don't misunderstand me when I say this, but the way we live will typically be a reflection of the way we think. True change in our lives begins in our hearts and in our minds. If God can change Elijah, I believe God can change you and me as well. I believe those that live the full lives that God calls us to, that He intends for us, are people whose thoughts do not focus on themselves. They focus on Christ. And that inclines us towards confidence and joy and love. Now turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Verse 2. Sixth book, New Testament. Romans 12, verse 2. If you have a smartphone, you're already there. I think... Download the notes. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. It says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. There are so many people out there who are just crazy and try and tell you what God's will is for your life, and they have never submitted themselves to Christ, and so God has not renewed their mind. So how do they know what God's will is? How are they able to test and approve God's will? You surrender your life to Christ. And then he renews your mind. And then you are able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I'll give you a, a couple ways here that, about your mind and how to kind of put this together. The first thing you need to do is learn to monitor your mind. Monitor your mind. Many times we don't even think about what we're thinking. It just flows. Sometimes we will get so used to bitter thoughts or anxious thoughts or selfish thoughts that we don't even notice that we're thinking them. It's called mindlessness. If I go and I hang out with my wife, sometimes it's like my mind isn't even there. I think about all my problems, you. So I think about you guys a lot. I got a low-grade obsession with tasks and problems. Even when I'm not with my wife, with other people, sometimes they will say, you're not all the way here, are you? Because I'm thinking about a bunch of other stuff. My face is less responsive. It's less alive. I don't do this on purpose. It becomes just a habit of my mind. And so I'm becoming aware we have to pay attention to our thoughts. What are you thinking about? What are you really thinking about? And you always, oh, nothing. Well, you're thinking about something. But if you say nothing, then think about something, something good and noble and true. Think about God. In Psalm 139, verse 23, the psalm writer says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God knows our thoughts better than we do. And when we listen, He will speak to us and we'll start to get the focus off of ourselves. Now, in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives a great framework for understanding, you know, what are thoughts and attitudes that lead to life that come from the Spirit of God and those that don't. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, I think the verse is wrong on the screen. Yeah, it's 8, 6, not 6, 8. It's my dyslexia, or apparently, or something like that. In Romans 8, 6, it says, The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. 
The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Those are so much better thoughts than the anxious ones we usually run around with. See, take any thought, especially those thoughts that are weighty, that you turn over and over in your mind and ask, what direction are these thoughts leading me in? Are they leading me closer to Christ or not? Now, believe it or not, um, I get hate mail or hate email because nobody sends us mail, but I get hate email. And I got one a while ago from somebody. I actually had somebody this morning go, I almost sent you one like that a while ago. I'm like, thanks, appreciate it. I was going to read it to you, but I blame it on computer error and not my own. But somehow it got deleted. If you don't want me to read emails that you send to me that are mean and nasty, don't send them because I'll read them in front of everybody. That's what I'll do. But so, I, so I lost it and I don't have it. But this person was telling me how I was rude and I didn't care about people and I was arrogant and mean. And I'm like, really? And first I had this little twinge in my belly and I'm thinking all about it. Oh, man. This, this, this. And then I'm like, I'll go tell them. I'll tell them what's up. I'll show them. And then I actually prayed about it. You know, and then God began to re- actually set my mind. And I prayed for the guy. I prayed that we'd have a good conversation. I was actually able to talk to the person. So it's, you know, it, it's God resetting us and not just holding on to the things that we first feel. Because our first reactions many times are not that great. Many times hurt feelings are simply wounded pride or wounded vanity. That's something we can deal with. When you think about truly, God is a God of grace. He has given us grace. He loves us. He calls us home. He's taken all of our craziness and turns it around for His good. We are a people who have no right to pride or vanity. We are a people who know grace. And even though there are elements of pain in life, they should not paralyze you because they can actually bring you energy if your mind is centered upon Christ. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. That is what living a life filled by the Spirit of God looks like. God's Spirit wants to liberate us from thinking as if we are God and as thinking as if we are nothing. There is a God, it is not you, but he wants you to become you. So you learn to monitor your mind. The second thing is learn to set your mind. Open to Colossians chapter 3. Learn to set your mind. You can't stop you know, thinking wrong thoughts by trying harder not to think wrong thoughts. But you can do something else. You can do what scripture writers call setting your mind. The most basic power that you have over your mind is that you can choose what you're going to pay attention to. So learn to set your mind. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2 says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He says, and set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You set your minds on the things that God has called you to. I mean, two, two people can be in the same set of circumstances, and you have completely different experiences. You guys ever seen this thing about like the dog's diary and the cat's diary? Ever seen that? Dog's diary, it's like this, 8 a.m. breakfast, my favorite thing. 9 a.m., a car ride, oh, it's my favorite thing. 9.30, visiting mom's clients, my favorite thing. 10.30, hugs and snacks, ooh, it's my favorite thing. 1 p.m., played with stuffed animals, ooh, my favorite thing. You know, 3.30, visited more clients, oh, my favorite thing. 5.30, went to the store, it's my favorite thing. 6.30, dinner, it's my favorite thing. 8 p.m., walked around the neighborhood, oh, it's my favorite thing. 9 p.m., wow, watch TV with mom and dad. It's my favorite thing. 11 p.m., slept on the bed. It's my favorite thing. Until they kick me off, because that's what you do. And then the cat's diary is like this. It's day 983 of my captivity. <laughs> my captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They, de- they dine lavishly on fresh meat while the other inmates and I are fed hash or some sort of dry nuggets. <laughs> the only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. In an attempt to disgust them, I once again vomit on the carpet. <laughs> Two creatures, identical circumstances, totally different experiences. You can probably see this where you work. Some people at your job are probably like, oh, I hate my job. And some people are like totally fine, like, hey, I have a job. This is great. It's wonderful. Two different sets of circumstances. 
It's a way of thinking. It's about, it's about gratitude versus entitlement. We are a people who have been given grace. Everything in our lives should be about gratitude that our great God has given so much grace to you and I. John Milton wrote in Paradise, Paradise Lost, The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Now, many people try to tell themselves to stop thinking all their negative thoughts, which immediately bring to mind all your negative thoughts. This is why God says, set your mind on Him. In Romans 8, 5, it says, Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. Now, I, I know you'll probably think a lot less of me, or maybe not. Maybe I can't get much lower. But uh, I'm afraid of the dark. Not all the dark, but, but just when it's pitch black and I can't see anything. We live on this farm, and right before we go to bed, I take my dog out to go pee. And I always wonder, is the coyote going to run out and like be like, ah, because I don't know if I would like save the dog or run away. I don't know what I'd do. Like, ah, you know. Whatever. So one time we're at this camp with a bunch of kids and uh, we're in this cabin and all the light and lights and power go out. And I'm like on the other side of the room like, because ah, there's bugs and animals, but bugs. So I'm really freaked out about the bugs. And so I'm like, what do I do? And then all of a sudden one of my friends is like, door's over here. Just walk. So I actually make my way to the door by listening to his voice. So do you know what makes me not panic? It's not trying to not think fearful thoughts. It's listening to somebody else's voice. When you are in the dark, what voice do you listen to? This is one of the reasons why Scripture is so important to God's people. One reason why people find memorizing Scripture helpful is that it enables us to listen to Christ's voice when we're in the dark. I mean, the gift that God gives you of your mind is unbelievably lavish. When you were, before you were born, your body produced over 200 billion neurons. This gives you the ability to react and, and to think. You have such an embarrassment of riches, but by the time you are born, you have burned off about 100 billion of those. And you've never even missed them. It's amazing. Between your second month in the womb and your second birthday, your body was producing 1.8 million synapses per second. And you're not even tired. It's like, I'm not even breaking a sweat. This is amazing. Over time, those pathways between neurons were shaped in ways that are absolutely unique to who you are. And God has no intention of wasting those things. Scientists have now found that even to adulthood, the brain is amazingly changeable. It has what's called neuroplasticity, which means uh, when synapses remains and other ones go away, depend upon how you use them. Things that carry no traffic, they wither away and die, like land-based phone lines. They just kind of go away. Those that get heavily trafficked, they get stronger and thicker. The mind actually begins to shape the brain. Neurons that wire together begin to fire together. In other words, when you read the scriptures, when you focus on Jesus and hope and love and joy, your mind is literally rewiring your brain. So you must feed your mind with excellence. You must feed your mind with excellence. Our bodies are constantly being formed by what goes into them. And you may not like this truth, and most of us may not listen to it, but you can't evade it. Your bodies get shaped by what goes into it. Now, I am tempted at times to share with my dog last night at the Christmas party. She was going around eating all the garbage off the carpet that everybody dropped off their pizza. And you know what? I knew it because she was passing gas all night long. She, my wife got her in the car to leave, and, and she's like, I thought she pooped in the back seat. It was so terrible because when bad things go into the dog, bad things come out of the dog. When bad things go into us, bad things typically come out. I mean, we are careful about what we put into high-performance race cars or commercial airliners or thoroughbreds, but we forget this when it comes to our minds. In this world, you're being bombarded every day by messages from media and coworkers and maybe your boss or maybe you're going on a date, maybe from books that you read or iPods or music. Our mind will be shaped with whatever we feed it with the most. And I believe the enemy will constantly try to keep you from noticing what you're putting into your mind. Again, one of the greatest gifts God has given us is Scripture. 
yet we turn it into such a burden. Sometimes people ask me, well, how many minutes a day do I need to read the Bible? Is it 5, 10, 15? It's like, you know, what's the minimum number I can read to have God not be mad at me? And that's, that's the wrong question. God is not mad at you for not reading your Bible. As a matter of fact, God will never, never love you any more than he does right now, no matter how much you do read the Bible. The question is, what can you feed your mind with so that it can flourish, so you can become the person you are called to be, so that your mind becomes honed into who God wants you to be? Turn to Psalm chapter 1. If you open your Bible right to the middle, you hit the book of Psalms, turn left, Psalm 1. The reason that we read the Bible is not so we fulfill a spiritual duty, although I believe it is a spiritual thing that we should be doing. It's not to gain more knowledge, although I do believe that we gain knowledge by reading Scripture, but it's to jump into the stream that God provides so we are nourished and we grow. In Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. He meditates on his law day and night. That may sound undesirable or intimidating for you. It's like, how would I ever get any work done if I just thought about lamentations all day long? It may not actually be a bad idea. But med- meditation is simply turning the thought over and over in your mind. As you dirt do that, neurons begin to fire in your brain. It begins to rewire. It is why I tell you I write all my messages early. Because like next week's message, I'll print it out today and I'll be thinking about it all week long. So it's not Saturday night at 11 o'clock and I'm like, oh, point number one. Read your Bible, dummy. You know, it, it, I try and put it in a way that makes sense to you so that we can all kind of be in this conversation that moves where God wants us to go. When you receive information that matters to you, you, you meditate on it. You think about it. When, when I first met my wife and I found out she liked me, I couldn't believe it. I was taking English 101 for the fifth time. <laughs> True story. Fifth time. And she was an English teacher. And so she goes, oh, I'll grade your paper for you. So she starts grading. And I'm like, oh, she got to think I'm a total moron. And then I find out she actually liked me. And I start thinking about it. I mean, that night, my mind is fixated on the thought she actually likes me because she's way out of my league. If you met her and me, it's like, wow, what happened there? I don't know. It's like, ooh, I worked the voodoo. I don't know. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't stop thinking about it. My mind just goes over and over and over. She likes me. So the next day, you know, I call her up and I'm like, hey, you want to go do something? She's like, oh, I'm busy. I'm like, oh, great, wonderful. But I had one really good night of thinking about it. You know, it was, it was great. It was my delight. And what I delight in, I can't help but think about. Now, what would it be like if our delight was in God's Word? It is certainly something deeper than being thrilled about a bunch of rules. It starts with a vision of being loved by God because God is way out of our league. He's like perfection and we're fallen. Yet this wonderful God, this mysterious, all-powerful, all-holy God loves us. And you learn that. You become excited about that. And you will find a day when you stop thinking about it so much, not because you're a spiritual failure. So if you're married 30 years, you're able to think about other things besides the fact that your spouse loves you. Not because you love them less, but simply because your neurons have gotten used to the information. Your neurons will get used to the information that God actually does love you. What the psalm writer says is that he carries the thoughts of God's love and protection into his mental life, into everything he does. This makes his whole life richer. Being loved by God has become such a deep part of who he is and his mental circuitry that now affects every aspect of his life. I mean, in a world that is so full of easy options to distract our minds, we must be a people who are fed by Scripture. We must be reading our Bibles. If you've got one at home, take it off the shelf, dust it off, open the thing up, read it. If it's written in like in, in a language you can't understand, like thee, thus is thou, with this, you, is, 
Okay, grab one of those on the way out in the back. They're NIVs. You can read it. It's understandable. Take one home. That's what they're there for. You can have one. Read your Bible. I want to give you six ways that you read Scripture that will hopefully make it come alive for you. So you can be like, oh, this makes a little more sense to me. So I'm going to give you six things. Number one, read the Bible with curiosity. Read with curiosity. Uh, You can learn a lot from the Bible if you simply ask some simple questions. Who's the author of the book? Who's the audience? Are they writing a parable, an instruction, a letter, a history? How would the people who read these words the very first time have understood them? Because often our biggest barrier to becoming learners is what we think we already know. So one of the most important resources, I believe, in reading the scriptures is the one you carry around with you all day long. It's called your imagination. Your imagination. When you read a Bible story, take time to create the details. Take like John chapter 21. You got Jesus died, rises from the dead. He's been denied by Peter. You got the disciples. They're sitting out in a boat. And they're, and they're fishing because they don't know what else to do. Jesus shows up on the lake. He's cooking some fish over a fire. Peter sees it. He's like, oh, that's Jesus. Dives in the water, swims to shore, leaves all of his buddies out in the boat, having to pull up all the fish themselves. And so you start to ask yourself the questions. Okay, well, you know, what does the water sound like as it laps against the side of the boat? What would, what would you feel like if Peter left you and you had to do all the work? And what do you feel like about that? How does Peter feel? Is he all cold when he gets out of the water and he has to go and see Jesus? What does it feel like to be Peter and have Jesus actually say your name after you denied him? What does the fish on the fire smell like? What does the charcoal feel, smell like as, as it burns? You know, what, what would you feel like if it was you and you had denied Jesus? And yet he came and, and he talked to you and showed up and made you breakfast. You know, what, what would that be like? You see, you can take something you've read a hundred times and it just opens up so wide when you ask yourself questions. Read the Bible with curiosity. The second thing is you also need to read it with integrity. One of the barriers to feeding your mind with Scripture is when you're unsure whether you can believe a certain story in Scripture or not. So either you force yourself to believe it or you don't read the things you just don't like. When you read the Bible and you have doubts, don't try harder to believe. Let God know about your doubts because He knows it anyway and then talk to somebody else about it. Have integrity in it. Say, I don't understand this, or I don't believe this. I don't know what's going on here. Go and talk to somebody. Get some answers. Curiosity, integrity. Read the scriptures with expectancy. With expectancy. You know how you know when you're around young people who really want to date someone? They smell good. They smell good. Uh, anybody in here, like, young and single and looking? Anybody? Raise your hand. Young, single. Single? Okay. Look, just look around. Yeah, someone don't want to raise their hands because, like, I'm looking. You know, you don't want that. All right. Oh, there you go. Now do this. Now lean over to the person and just, just smell them. Go. Yeah. If they smell good, they're looking. If they don't smell good, they don't care. Okay. But that's it. They smell them. They're looking. When people are hopeful of meeting someone, there's like electricity in the air. There's a scent in the air. You know, they're alive. It is the same thing with God. If you really believe that you may meet God, you don't just show up. Your mind's awake. You're waiting for him to come and actually talk and speak. You're hoping to meet something beyond yourself. If I'm at home and my wife hands me the remote control to the TV, she didn't care what we watch. If she hands me a letter that she spent you know, time writing like on our anniversary, that's something I read a little bit differently. You cannot make yourself be excited about reading the Bible. It isn't wise to try. But when you come at it with curiosity, integrity, and expectancy, things will begin to change. Just don't be too distracted to hear the Spirit of God when He speaks. Come to it with expectancy. Number four, read the scriptures with an active mind. With an active mind. It, uh, there's a song that I bet you could all sing, even if you've never uh, heard a recording of it. I don't know who made up the jingle, but they're a genius apparently. It doesn't contain a single word, but most of you have heard it and most of you have sung it. Probably the most important song you've ever learned. It's called the ABC song. Right? Now, I used to think that LMNOP was a word, but it's not. 
We use certain devices to learn. Television networks and advertisers spend billions of dollars trying to get jingles into your brain. I cannot remember my cousin's names, but I can tell you all seven people stranded on Gilligan's Island. I, I can do that. And so when we study something, we take it into our minds, we internalize it, it begins to belong to us, it becomes part of us, and then whole new worlds become available. I was reading a story uh, just a couple weeks ago about a girl who was actually sold uh, into marriage at age 12 in India. And at age 15, she was abandoned by her husband. And a few years later, uh, she was able to attend a literacy class. And in this class, she was mesmerized by the alphabet because she learns the letters, and she learned the letters in her name. She finds that everybody her entire life had been pronouncing her name wrong. And so this discovery of the alphabet had the power to change her name, which enabled, it made her say, I don't have to be the same person I always was. I can be something different. It captivates her. When we read Scripture... We ask God to take this and put it into our bones where the ABC song gets stuck into your head. And when you read the scriptures with this active mind, you can then read the scriptures, walk out into the world, and you can then begin to read God's presence in the world. So we begin to learn our new name. We were made, our minds are made for so much more than the average mind gets filled with. So much more. Uh, and I would say, here's the one for our vernacular. Read the scriptures the way you'd watch a movie. The way you'd watch a movie. Sometimes a group of people get together and one of them will mention a movie. And it's like, oh, and everybody starts talking. I saw that or I did this. Or a TV show. We were at the kids' volunteer Christmas party on last Saturday. And someone at the table where we were eating brought up the TV show. It's probably me. Uh, called The Walking Dead. Right? Yeah. yeah! Oh, awesome. Okay. So we brought it, and so we all start going, oh, yeah, The Walking Dead. We all start talking about the manga and then, you know, what our implications are, what's going on with it and all that. And I've got a, I got a really cool idea of what I think's actually happened in the show. I'm not going to tell you because I just give it all away. But nobody tries harder to watch a movie or watch a TV show. You just do. You're just engaged. And when it comes to the Bible, the conversations become so stilted. It's like people are so concerned with getting it right that they don't want to even talk about it or enter the conversation. I'll tell you, the characters in the Bible are not sterile moral object lessons. They're real people with flaws and ambiguity. And God comes and he works through these people. People just like you and me. That should be something we could talk about. Read something in the Bible and go, oh, did you read about that crazy thing that Peter did? Cut off that dude's ear. Oh, my goodness. Whose ear would I want to cut off? You know, and, you, and you start talking about things. Maybe he was a walking dead, missed the neck and went for the ear. I, you, know, you, just, you, you talk about these things and you make it come alive. And the last thing is this. Don't just read it. Do something. Do something. Uh, years ago, there's a businessman who is known for his ruthlessness, his arrogance, and his religiosity. And he tells Mark Twain that he intends to visit the Holy Land because he's going to climb Mount Sinai and read ten, the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. And so Mark Twain says, i got a better idea. You could stay here in Boston and just live them. It's true. Sometimes we'd rather think about all the things we don't know than actually do the things that we do know. People would rather debate protein versus carbs or Italian cooking versus vegetarian, lifting weights versus cardio. People would rather debate doctrine and beliefs and tradition and interpretation than actually do simply what Jesus says to do. It's not rocket science. You, you just do it. Practice loving someone who's difficult to love. Try forgiving someone. Give away some money. Tell someone thank you. Encourage your friend. Talk about the gospel. Bless an enemy. Say I'm sorry. Worship God. Most of us know more than we already really need to know. Open to James chapter 1, verse 22. As you do, I'll read you Matthew 7, 24, which Jesus, he says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, for some reason, it's so much easier to be smart sometimes than to simply be good. We do need to read the scriptures because to, in order to live them, you've got to read them so you know what they say. But many times, you just need to simply live what it tells you. James 1.22 says, 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Then what does it say? Do what it says. Do what it says. Simple. Feed your mind. Become aware of what God is doing. Because God is doing some amazing things. Now, I'm going to end with this. Uh, Joshua Bell, I don't know if you know who he is, but he is probably the world's finest violinist. Uh, he is like a prodigy at age four. He'd take rubber bands and he'd put them on his dresser at his house and he'd move them in and out and play classical tunes on rubber bands. He's just kind of an amazing kid. So uh, now he is just a world-renowned violinist, again, probably the best violinist in the world. And an experiment. He recently plays unannounced in a metro station in Washington, D.C. The people who conducted the experiment were told by experts that a crowd would gather. It'd be unruly. They need extra security. Surely so many people would flock to this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So in, I'm going to show you this video clip. Joshua Bell is playing a 1713 Stradivarius, probably the most expensive violin in the entire world, probably the best violin in the entire world. And he begins to play the six most difficult songs to play, and probably the most beautiful songs in the entire world. And this is what happens. you got the world's greatest violinist playing the world's greatest music on the world's greatest instruments, and almost nobody stops. Almost nobody listens. Thousands. Of, you Actually, in the video, if you slow it down a bit, a couple kids are going to they're all... You know, trying to get their parents to stop, but they're all too in a hurry. Nobody actually listens. One woman alone recognizes him, stops to listen. She gives him a bigger tip than she gave him twenty bucks, bigger tip than all the other people combined. You know, this guy makes millions of dollars playing the violin. Yet, you know, twenty bucks, great for you. They're all too much in a hurry to listen to the master play his instrument, and we are just like that. God is the master. He has written us this entire letter that we call Scripture. And yet sometimes we are so busy, we don't take any time to stop and to open it up and read it. God is still speaking to us. That's why Jesus says, those who have ears to hear, let him hear. We don't become doers on our own. We read Scripture. We ask the Spirit to help us understand what to do in response. Then the intersection of the Scriptures and how we live our lives make us become the people that He made us to be. But we must be reading the Scriptures. That's why every week we bring you guys to communion. And communion is a place today where you need to take time. You need to listen to what God is doing. I mean, you, you take that cracker and you break it like his body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which represents his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be a people who are have our sins forgiven. We can be reborn. We can also listen. We can hear what the Master is playing. Don't get so busy that you walk by and don't even listen to what he's been saying to you. The band's going to come up. They're going to do a couple songs. And as they do, I before you take communion, take a couple moments and ask God to speak. Listen to what he's trying to say. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, maybe your life is too hectic and everything's out of control and you don't have time to listen, pray with them so that they can settle you down a little bit and help you get a place where you can listen to what God is doing and then you begin to live the scriptures there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back and we give because God gave so much to us giving is part of our worship so we get that opportunity every week and then there's cookies and stuff in the back you can meet some other people and maybe you can sit down and talk to them about reading the scriptures and what that looks like in a, in a community get in a small group study God's word together help each other to understand it and what that looks like God's gift to you has been unbelievably lavish more than you could ever comprehend and we simply need to be a people who understand that and begin to partake of what he's already given to us because he is so good. Open in the scriptures. Read God's word. You have questions, talk about it. But go at it with an active mind, curiosity, expectancy, integrity. But read it. Listen to what the master's saying.
Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would make us into a people who do listen to you and the words that you say, the words that you have said in your word and the words that you continue to say to us as your children and we listen to you. Father, quite honestly, we get so distracted by everything in our world. We're like children who are so distracted by all the little jangly objects that are around us that we stop looking at the one we should be looking at. We stop listening to the one we should be listening to. So this morning, have us get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who loves us more than we can ever understand, the one who's revealed more truth to us than we will ever know. Have us be like trees planted in streams of your living water that are nourished by the words that you have spoken. And we begin to be a people who can meditate on your word day and night so that it gets into our bones. And everything that we do is influenced by your words. Have our minds be fully active and engaged in who you call us to be. Amen.